0: You are listening to a broadcast of Dublin First Baptist Church, Pastor Cameron McGill in Dublin, North Carolina. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist Church and the Lake Church to hear from God's Word. I would encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the little bitty book of Titus. If you have any trouble finding Titus, it's not bad. It's right in front of Philemon. And uh, so just find Philemon and turn back a book. That went over well. Have you ever wondered what your mission on earth was? Many people, their mission is to make money, buy stuff, Live long. The fact of the matter is, as believers, we have a mission. Today is Mission Sunday. We sang songs about that. The heart of the believer is mission. Mission doesn't just take place on the mission field. It takes place on the ball field. It doesn't just take place when we go to the far reaches of the earth, but it happens when we're standing in our yard talking to our neighbor. Our neighbor. This morning I want to share a very simple message on our mission and hopefully be encouraged to be on mission for Christ. Look with me beginning in the first verse of the second chapter of the book of Titus. This book has practical instructions for everyday living how we can take our faith and put it to practice. Titus chapter 2, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. At the very core of our mission is knowing what we believe, whom we believe in, that the aged men may be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, and in patience. That the aged women likewise, that they be behaving as becometh of holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the younger women to be sober, love their husbands, love their children. That's how they learn. To be discreet, chaste keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands. Don't get mad, I didn't write it, just reading it. "...that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you." In other words, if someone says something bad about you... Everybody's going to know it's a lie because you're a person of such integrity. There would never be doubt. Exhort servants to be obedient to their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity, that is, our convictions, that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. In other words, our living would well represent our Savior. For the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that... Denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. That was true 2,000 years ago, it's true today. Verse 13, our inspiration, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself. peculiar people zealous unto good works these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority let no man despise thee this is a a wordy text here and it deals with all kinds of, of things from the support of a husband to the encouragement of the aged over the young and so many things but in a nutshell Titus 2 gives us our mission what we're here for this morning I want to share with you First, the mission of the Christian, that is us individually, what God has called us to be about day to day as the blood-bought saints of the living God. And then secondly, we're going to look at what the mission of the church is. Friend, we're living in a day where I believe that many Christians have lost sight of what God has left us here for. If our salvation was the only reason that we're saved, the moment we were saved, God would have raptured us and taken us home and said, You're mine. I'm getting you out of here. You can come home now. But He's left us here with a particular mission to accomplish. Sadly enough, many churches today have forgotten what their mission is. It's not just to exist until Jesus comes. It's not just to be a safe haven for people to come and gather and get out of the world, but it is a place that we come and get equipped to go out into the world. Father, over these next few moments of study, how I pray you might give unction and understanding, clarity of mind, the thought and of speech, that we would, Lord, be able to preach as a dying man to dying people. God, it's a message like this. Lord, that we need to hear and we need to let it influence us and change our way of thinking, our way of living, our way of doing faith. And God, so I pray that you might speak to every one of us as we have need. In Jesus' name, amen. I hesitate to tell this story simply because some of you have already heard it. But after all of these years, face it, most of my stories... You have heard. I understand Cameron's going to go to college and write a book, The Many Stories of My Pastor, and get his scholarship money from that. So, But uh, I will tell you this story. I understand it to be maybe a true story. You know how those go. The story goes that there was a young preacher in a small town. And it was his very first Sunday. And he was so very excited but under uh, this coat and tie was an evangelist. He had the heart of an evangelist beating in his chest and he wanted to reach his community. He wasn't satisfied just being that pastor. But he wanted those people in that community to know that Jesus loved them and that Jesus died for them and that he was coming again. So with this passion he entered into that first Sunday in that small Baptist church and as he was on the front porch shaking hands with the parishioners as they made their way in for his first Sunday he was so filled with excitement but it instantly turned to disappointment as he looked across the street and he saw saw two old brick masons who were laying the foundation of a brand new house. And it absolutely infuriated him. How could they be doing this on the Lord's day? Here it is Sunday morning, his first Sunday, no doubt. And these guys have such disrespect. They're just acting as if nothing important is going on. So as he went up and the songs were sung and the announcements were made, his anger was kindled and he got madder and madder with every passing moment. So it came time for his portion of the service. It came time for him to preach and he decided those two old boys needed to hear his message. So he stood behind that pulpit and with his King James Bible in one hand and his fist held high in the other, he cried out these words. Open them doors and open them wide. Let those sinners come inside hoping that those Masons might hear him. So the ushers ran back, and they pushed those doors open, and again that young preacher bellowed out, "Open them doors and open them wide, Let those sinners come inside um. But nothing. And he wasn't to be you know uh, discouraged in that. so once again he bellowed out, "Open them doors and open them wide, Let those sinners come inside." Um. Finally, it got the attention of those old brick masons. One looked at the other and says, If that old boy does that again, so help me. And he held up one of those bricks. The preacher realized maybe he was getting through, so he thought one last call would do. Open them doors and open them wide. Let those sinners come inside. Mm. About that time, a brick came coming through, curling through those doors, right past the preacher's head in the pulpit, nearly taking his head off. He didn't miss a beat. He cried back, shut those doors and shut them quick. Some old sinners done chunked a brick. Friend, listen. We are living in a day where the sinners outside are chunking bricks. If you don't believe me, turn on the news. It is a brick chunking fest every single day. We find that the world around us does not want to hear our message. They are confounded by it. They are confused by it. Many are offended by it and put off by it. But that does not give us an excuse. Not to continue to sound the alarm and send the light and cry out to a lost and dying world. Jesus saves Jesus saves. Let me give you two things very quickly in your hearing. Number one, the mission for every Christian. By the way... This is not just for the super Christian. This is not just for the Christian that's been off to seminary or for the Christian that's been indoctrinated in the faith all of their lives. In fact, when Jesus called out to new believers he handpicked the most uh, just unseemingly sorts. He picked out those that had very little theological training if any. He picked out those that the gospel was absolutely not only good news, it was new news to them. And he said, follow me and I'll Make you, fishers of men. So this is for every single person who knows the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. First Corinthians, chapter number fifteen. In verse number 58, Paul writing to the believers in Corinth says this, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain. You might be here today and say, I just feel like I'm getting nowhere. I'm not progressing. I'm not reaching my neighbors and my family and my friends. Well, let's just get back to the basics real quick. Number one, as a believer, my mission is, to know Him. I must know Him, not just about Him. I must have had a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. The question goes out, have we met Jesus? Billy Graham, whom we lost this week, you know, he said many times that he believed that as many as three-fourths of the people sitting in the churches and congregations across America on any given Sunday truly had never been born again. They knew what it was like to be a Christian as far as their intellect, but they didn't Did not know what it was like to be a Christian in their heart. They were fighting a fight, but it was not the fight of faith. They were trying to uh, somehow uh, imitate or somehow emulate the, the things of Christianity, whereas they could not just live out the things of Christianity because they were not indwelt with the Holy Spirit. So, how important it is today that we understand there must first and foremost be a relationship before there is a mission. And many of you today have served in the military and you understand that. There was an an, an induction and then there was a training and finally there was the battle. How important to know that you know Him today. Like the old preacher said, do you know that you know that you know that you know that Jesus Christ is your Lord and He is your Savior. It's been said that many people will miss heaven by about a foot the distance from their brain to their heart. Do we know Him today many times we try to pick up midstream we try to pick up learning about Christ and growing in Christ when we have never truly met him number 2 i'm not making assumptions this morning but for the sake of time i will move into the point into the second point and that is that if we do truly know him then we must grow in Him. That is, we are maturing. In Titus chapter 2, there's a picture of how this growth takes place. I am thankful that the gospel, while it cannot be inherited, it can be lived out and passed from one generation to the next. The Bible talks about the older men and the older women and the younger men and the younger women and how important it is to live out a godly example and then hand down that legacy. There is no greater legacy then we can give the next generation then a godly example of who Christ is that is part of our maturing. Friend, may I say to you with all due respect I have preached in churches along the way that are filled with senior adults that still act as though they're in the nursery. I want it my way. I want everything to be the way I like it. I don't want anything to change. Once it was said the only place that change was welcome was in the nursery. Amen, if you got that. But the fact is that sometimes we never mature in our faith. So think about this just for a moment. How do we mature? The Bible says, number one, it is by strong doctrine, sound doctrine, knowing the truth, not just knowing the tenets of a denomination, not just knowing the tenets or the fundamentals of one particular church or another, but knowing the word of Almighty God. Now be very careful. In the first century, they were fighting daily the temptation to be led astray by false doctrines. Do we still have that temptation today? I say that we do. If you turn on your television, just because the man standing behind a, pul- a pulpit doesn't mean he's necessarily preaching the truth. Just because he's got a 30 minute segment on the local radio, Christian radio station, doesn't necessarily mean he's preaching the truth. Sometimes people will come to me and say, Preacher, I was listening to so and so on the radio the other day and I heard something I had never heard before. I didn't even know it was in the Bible and they begin telling me what they've heard and I'll say well stop right there the reason you've never heard it and the reason you didn't know it was in the Bible cause it ain't it's just not there somebody's taken one verse and run with it or something out of context and made something where it was not I remember as a junior in high school a young man was going to do a a, a sort of a lecture and he'd picked one particular verse out of the book of 1 Corinthians about when the women ought to be quiet in the church and this old boy went for about 30 minutes on that thing and the more he talked, the more I realized he had picked one little piece out of scripture and man he just tried to get a home run with it but he struck out because he stepped out of the corridors of scripture and went into his own tangent. How important it is. Notice what it says that we teach sound doctrine. We want these boys and girls as they grow up not just to have a church experience but to have a Christ experience and a biblical experience and have a foundation to build their lives. Are we growing in Christ? Am I more spiritually mature today than I was yesterday? Do I know more of the Scripture today than I did yesterday? Am I methodically keeping up With a learning process of of discipleship, am I daily striving and desiring for more? The Bible says that as a newborn baby, I will desire the sincere truth of the Word of God. Many people will say, well, you know, preacher, as long as I've got enough to get me into heaven, that's all that matters. That's all I really need to know. What a shame. Can you imagine 25 years ago next month, I met Tiffany. Can you imagine if I walked up to her and said, okay, what's your name? She says, my name's Tiffany. I said, that's it. That's all I want to know. I don't need any more. We're going to get married and we're going to live the rest of our lives together, but that's all I want to know about you. What would that tell you? It would tell you that I desperately wanted to be married, but nothing else. I wanted no affection. I wanted no love. I wanted no relationship. I didn't want to know anything about her. Let me tell you that the more we know about Christ, the more responsibility we have to live for Him. But there should be a desire. The Bible said, Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Are we hungering? Do we want to grow? Do we want to truly mature in our faith? How important. I am convinced that is the reason that so many of our churches are struggling today is because the Christians in the pews have never truly matured in their relationship with Christ. Number three. As a Christian, my mission, number one, I must know Him. I must have that settled. Number two, I must grow in Him. And by the way, Titus 2 says, when we grow in Him, then we're equipped to go for Him. So number three, I'm to go for Him. There's all kind of scriptures. I could take you to the Great Commission. Two young men did a wonderful job last week sharing and preaching about the Great Commission. I thoroughly enjoyed that. But probably my favorite text when it comes to our sending is Acts eight. It is the verse that radically changed my ministry and even in many ways the direction of our church. But you shall receive power, Jesus says, right before he ascends to heaven. After the Holy Ghost comes upon you, and listen, and you, Christian, you shall be my witness in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and under the uttermost parts of the earth. Go for him. The Bible says that we are to be sent ones. And he gives us a specific place, locally, first and foremost. It's one thing to go on the other side of the globe, but if we won't go on the other side of the street, how hypocritical. But we go locally, then we go you know, across the state, across the nation, and across the world. You might say, well, I'm going to pick one or the other. When you look at this text, you keep seeing the word and, and, and that doesn't mean I physically am able to go to all these places, but I have a heart to reach the nations. As I mentioned earlier, can you imagine there are Christians in China that have a heart to reach America? By the way, why is it that they're coming to America? Beloved, it's because Christians in America have done such a poor job at evangelizing our own people. Think about this. When Jesus began this whole idea of a new way of doing business, He did two things, and it's the same today. Number one, he gathered people. Gathering people is important. That's why we're here today. It's not a show. It's not some routine or ritual. But we gather. We come together Sunday morning, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, other events. We gather as the people of God. And and by and large, Christians in America are pretty good at gathering. Our gatherings are not as big on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights as they're on Sunday mornings, but we still gather. We like to get together. In fact, we sing songs about gathering at the river, and we, we sing songs about our fellowship and all those kind of things. So I think we're getting at least a B on gathering. But Christ over and over and over again emphasized the importance, not just in gathering, but in scattering in scattering. That we were commanded not just to come together and talk about how good it is to be a Christian, but that we go sharing with the lost world how important it is that they receive the Christ that has saved us. Again, you've probably heard this, but I watched a dear friend of mine over about a a decade grow one of the largest churches in America. And from time to time he and I would connect and we would talk and and honestly, you, you could see in him a growing arrogance. And I say that now because he would tell you if he was here that. And every year he aspired to have the largest church in America until the point that they were averaging between ten and 15,000 people on Sunday mornings. That blows my mind. How in the world did he keep up with who was having surgery, you know? I just don't know. But his goal was to grow this big church. And he told me a while back, he said, I would look every year. They would print the top 100 churches in America in size. And he got his church up to about number 15. And he was looking at it with this sense of pride. And he said to himself, next year I bet we break into the top 10. And he said, God said to him, not if I have anything to do with it. And in an instant he realized that he was trying to build his kingdom. Now follow me on this. He was trying to build his kingdom. More people to come hear me preach. More people to come tithe at my church. More people to come here and be a part of my ministry more conferences that I'll get to go speak at, more recognition, my name in, more, in print, and my picture in the papers. I'm building my kingdom. The next Sunday, under great conviction, he stood before his crowd of people and he said, it's time we do business differently. He said, God has convicted me that he's not called me to be a mega church pastor, but to be a church planter. He said, I want you to begin praying, and I'm going to ask you in large numbers to leave this church. I don't know of another pastor that's ever done that. Frankly, I'm probably not going to do that this morning. But he stood there and he asked his people, and they were dumbfounded. They didn't understand and he began preaching and showing how the early church was never commanded just to come together and get bigger and bigger and bigger. If so, we would only have one epistle in the New Testament, one letter in one church. But as a church grew, they would step out and plant another church and they would step out and plant another church. And at the summit in Durham, they understood that if they were going to reach the nations, they must plant more churches because only so many people were going to get up and go to the summit on Sunday morning. Their goal now is to plant many thousands of churches over the next 50 to 100 years JD Greer with their, as their pastor says I know I won't be there but we're going to set this thing in motion and almost without exception now at the summit on Sunday mornings families will come and stand at the altar and say we are ready we are ready to sell our house and sell our cars we are ready to homeschool our kids or whatever we must do so that we can uproot right now and we can go And they're going into communities that they would never have imagined themselves going. Recently, some folks from the Lake Church, their children, actually stepped out from the summit and went to Winston-Salem in the inner city. Now get this. A group of Anglo people, that's white folks, are now renting an African-American church at 4 o'clock on Sundays and planting a church in a community that used to be white, became black and now is becoming more white and more ethnic and diverse, many different nationalities. It's just amazing to me. That's out of the box. But they understood that gathering, while it's important... Scattering is even more important. So when we look at our mission as a Christian, understand, friend, if you think that somehow you're making God happy by coming to this place one hour a week, if I think that my job is just to get you here and try to keep you here so that you don't go out to one of the other churches that wants you to come to their place and sit for an hour a week, we're desperately missing the point. Nothing is so liberating when we realize that our relationship with Christ does not just happen under under this roof and in within these four walls. But it happens out there. God may lead some of our young people to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. God may lead some of you to step out and do things that you would never have imagined you would ever do with the boldness of the Holy Spirit driving you. Notice Acts 1.8 says when you receive the Spirit, when God's Holy Spirit, He's going to send you. Jesus never, when he gathered his his followers, never said, Come on, guys, I'm going to take you all to a really pretty place, and we're just going to hunker down and hang out. He said, Guys, follow me, but be ready. Because if you follow me, you're going to have to leave your mom and your daddy. You're going to have to leave the comforts of your home and the comforts of your job and the comforts of your career. And those guys somehow just mesmerized by the amazing power and presence of Almighty God literally took their nets that was their fortitude, that was everything to them and said, we don't need these anymore. That was their security. That was how they provided, you know, bread. And and they said, no, we don't need it. He'll provide. And they let them go. The Christian's mission is not just to come in, but it is to go out. Today's believers gather, but seldom scatter. I wonder, I wonder, are we to the point as a Christian, as a believer, that we would literally sign our name on the bottom of a contract and say, God, you just fill in all the details. You don't even have to tell me what they are. Just tell me one step at a time and I'll follow you. Number two, and I'm done. Not only does the Christian have a mission, the church has a mission. Did you know that? Hebrews 10, 25. Now, before you think I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, follow me on this. The Bible says in Hebrews 10, 25, Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. In Hebrews chapter 10 is a picture of the church being steadfast and immovable and strong and all of these things. And then the importance of gathering together. I got an email early this morning simply saying I struggle thinking about going to church. I, I love Christ, but I've been heard and, and all of these things, and going to church is not something that is appealing to me. And I wonder, friend, have we truly allowed the church to become something that it was never intended to be? In the Old Testament, the temple became something it was never intended to be. And are we willing as Christians to say, no more, not under my watch. I want our church to discover her true mission. You say, well, preacher, are we doing it all wrong? Of course not. But how important it is that we understand that there is a biblical mandate for the church of Christ. I'm amazed to watch churches and pastors. The average stay today is a little bit less than two years. And uh, somebody said, preacher, I wished you a little more average. But, uh, you know, the fact is, as long as I've been here is almost unheard of anymore. And it is very difficult at times to make sure you keep things fresh and a new challenge. But here's the deal whether the pastor's been there two years or 20 years or somewhere in between, the mission remains the same. If I leave tomorrow, the church still has a mission. The church's mission is not about riding the coattails of the pastor into the next chapter. A friend of mine recently left his church, and one of the deacons met him and said, Preacher, I don't know what you're going to do, what we're going to do when you leave. I guess we'll do whatever the next preacher tells us to do. How heartbreaking to think that the mission of a church revolves around what a pastor's mission is and what a pastor's goals or, or likes or insights are. The fact is the church have a, has a mission that's greater than any pastor, greater than any group in the church. There is a collective mission spelled out in Scripture. Very quickly, let me give you what I see to be the two major points of the church's mission. And they're simple. Number one, to show Christ. To show Christ. In other words, make sure that people in the community, when they look at the church, see a clear picture of who Christ is. Christ does not squabble over the color of the carpet, the style of the lighting, or whether or not we have bread or crackers for communion. The mission of the church and our focus should never be about things that are temporal, but always things that are eternal. I know many of you like to take pictures, and I I like pictures. I grew up the son of a photographer, and so I have pictures of everything. If you go into our bathroom at our home, there is a picture of me when I was a little boy in the bathroom. It's just always been a camera somewhere around me. Christmas mornings, I would have to pose with every gift, you know, but the fact of the matter is that the most important thing when it comes to taking a picture is focus. It doesn't matter how beautiful the picture or how beautiful the or, or the uh, you know if it's a scene, how beautiful the setting. It doesn't matter if it's a if you're taking a, a portrait, if it's if it, you know, it doesn't matter how beautiful the person is, but if it's not in focus, everything is very skewed. When it's out of focus, it makes no sense. When it's out of focus, there's not a clear picture. You look at that and you say, what is this I'm looking at? Beloved, so many times the church, if we're not careful, will get things out of focus. Where our focus is will cause a very unclear picture of who Christ is. How long would it take someone on our campus to know what our mission is? How long would it take someone to come into a Bible study or or a service or, or some kind of event at this church? How long would it take them to know clearly what our mission is? We sing, stand up, stand up for Jesus. But are we willing to stand out for Jesus? 20,000, roughly 20,000 lost people, unchurched people in Bladen County. There are times that I think, boy, you know, we're in sort of a rural community. Imagine if we were in Raleigh or Charlotte, how many more people we could reach. fact of the matter is, there's more people here than we're ever going to reach. Last night, Tim and I had made a a few visits and then... um, went out and ate at Christopher's in town and a really good hamburger steak it was good she looked at me and she said what in the world's going on I thought I had gravy on myself or something I said what do you mean she said this restaurant is full and we do not know a single soul in here it did kind of blow my mind because normally I know about everybody you know anywhere you go and I realized that those are the people that have flown below our radar somehow. We we, we don't even acknowledge that they're out there. Whenever we circulate in the community, we typically just circulate amongst our own. We find other Christians, and that is important, the edification of the body. But if we're not out amongst lost people showing Christ to them, I'm not talking about living like them. I'm not talking about hanging out with them. I'm not talking about specifically, you know, things that we might do and say, well, you know, if I do this with them, maybe they'll... No, I'm talking about showing them a clear picture of Christ. That's the purpose of the church. Some churches I preach in will have a saying as you go out the door, you know, you you enter to worship, you you depart to witness or depart to serve or whatever it might be. But do we realize that daily we are giving a picture of who Christ is? We must show Him. Who are we to show? Three people real quickly. Number one, lost people. There are more lost people around us than there's ever been. I don't mean people that just hadn't accepted Christ kind of... State. I mean people that don't have a clue who Jesus is. They really think it's just a, a slang word that people say when they get mad. They really do not know that there was a man 2,000 years ago that lived a perfect life, died a sinner's death, rose from the grave victoriously. Oh, they've heard a little bit about it at Easter, and maybe they've seen it as they've, as they've gone through their channels, but they really have never had one person sit down and say, Hey, I am a Christian. I'd love to tell you about Jesus. They've never had a church really reach out to them and say we want to embrace you. I was preaching a couple of years ago at a church and literally there were like 30 signs in the church parking lot about the skateboarding problem. There were signs do not skateboard in big red letters and one picture of this skateboarder with the noose. Not really but I thought I was going to see that. I mean these people just absolutely had a major problem with skateboarders. Well, you know me, sometimes I get a little wound up. So I was wound up one night as I was preaching. And I said, bless God, if you all cared as much about the souls of those skateboarders as you do protecting your little parking lot out there. That poor preacher had been there almost 20 years. He had to resign six months later. I ain't sure it's about the skateboard thing, but it might have been. I asked him when he resigned. He said, I said, was it the skateboard thing? He said, well, that probably didn't help, but I'd have been gone either way. But anyway, how important it is that we realize the people around us, they're lost. They don't even know who Jesus is. They've never had anybody paint them a picture of Him. But there's also another group. That's the unchurched. That's the people that I believe truly have had an experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. But listen, the church has never opened their doors to them. The church has never reached out to them. There are so many things I think about that we probably could do. And and things flood my mind at times like, and I'm not saying we have to be very careful to do this, but we typically, if there's someone in our church that has a death in their family, we feed them and and we want to feed them and we want to minister to them. That's part of what we desire to do for a family. But wouldn't it be great if we could get to the point that we say, you know what we're going to do is we're going to find lost people that don't go to church anywhere. When they have a death in the family, we're going to reach out and feed them. There was just a thought that kind of came streaming through. What can we do to go out into the community and literally love people in Jesus' name, painting a clear picture. So there's the unchurched. And then there's another group. And I'm finding there are more and more of these people out there. And that's the dechurched. They have a history of being in church. But they've been hurt. They've been offended. Something happened, whatever it might be. I've met with people that literally are older than I am and say, I've never gone back to church, not since when I was an eight-year-old little boy or whatever age, and that deacon grabbed me by the arm and blessed me out because I had my hat on or because I was running in the church or whatever. You say, well, I don't believe anybody ought to have a hat in the church. I don't believe we ought to run in the church. I ain't necessarily real keen on it either. But that little child's soul is more important than my feelings about their hat or their running. When we get to the point that we realize we've got to be very careful that we represent Christ well, the de-churched. You know de-churched people. And it's going to be hard to get them back in church. They've been so hurt. There are scars there. But when we show them a clear picture of Jesus, that maybe the church isn't what you think it is. And, And I agree that sometimes people are looking for an excuse. Someone told me this week, I don't go to church because that's where all the hypocrites are. And I'm always reminded of the Adrian Rogers story. Somebody said that to him and said, Well, you go everywhere else with hypocrites, the grocery store, the restaurants, ball games. Why not the church? But the fact of the matter is that people are looking for excuses. But when we paint a clear picture of Christ and show Him, that's hard to deny. Number two, and we're done. Not only do we show Him, but we sow Him. The hymn we sang, Send the Light. There's a call comes ringing o'er the restless wave, Send the light, send the light. There are souls to rescue. There are souls to save. Send the light, send the light. Send the light. We have good news that we must tell But it begins, number one, with the burden. Do we truly have a burden for reaching the lost? Now, we identify lost people and we we talk about them and we hope our kids don't hang out with them and all these kind of things. But do we truly have a heart's desire to see lost people saved? I mean a true burden. And secondly, do we have a true boldness that will take us into their presence? Titus says, we're looking for the glorious appearing. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to return. And we're not to live with an eye on the sky and fear that He's going to come back and catch us doing something wrong. But it should break our heart to think that He would return and not catch us doing what is right and sharing the good news and loving people in Jesus' name and taking the gospel of people that desperately need it. When you go home today, you could turn on your television... And you could turn to probably 30 channels that will give you bad news. But there's only one source of eternally good news. And His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel of Christ. At the end of the day, I could preach seven hours, but it could sum it up, our mission is the gospel. Father, thank you for entrusting this mission with us. We are unworthy people.